Orioles have won the game. They did it! They did it! They did it! And they're going crazy. They're jumping on each other. One of the most unbelievable finishes you will ever see. And welcome to it. Thanks for being with us here on Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite. Brett Hollander, Jeff Arnold, ready to talk some MLB draft. And Jeff, uh, needless to say, for us baseball star folk, uh, we're excited about the draft every year. But this year, without the game in the backdrop of it, and, and without any games going on right now, I mean, usually sandwiched between, you know, everything from the College World Series to the NBA playoffs or finals, NHL, Stanley Cup, whatever, uh, and, and the day-to-day baseball games, uh, baseball is standing alone this week to uh, to make a splash. And the Orioles certainly hope to, to make one, too. And Jonathan Mayo, who we talked to on our, our podcast today, seems to think that it will probably be Austin Martin. You know, you have that group of Torkelson, Martin, and Asa Lacey, who you figure are going to be your top three picks. And, and those figure to be pretty locked in. And given the way that the Tigers have gone in their recent drafts with pitching and what Torkelson presents with bat, he is as good as it is. Uh, he would go number one, and then you, you figure Martin would, would be your, your second type of pick. And uh, Jonathan Mayo spoke very highly about him and, you know, the bat, the instincts, uh, how he could maybe be a plus defender if he was to, to go to the outfield uh, for the Orioles. Didn't really seem as maybe concerned about the arm part, which which I, I've heard maybe, you know, led to some reasons for concern. And when you read some of the mock drafts, the, those point those out too. But, but I think either way, the Orioles can be pretty confident that they're going to get a great player at number two, and then they should get a couple of other uh, great players at 30 and 39, and that should certainly elevate their overall rankings as far as maybe MLB.com or, or whatever, uh, their farm system to, to maybe a team in, in around the top five. Yeah, I think that's very possible. You'd love to hear they have two top 100 prospects out of this. You would figure whomever they get it to is going to be a top 50 prospect day one. Uh, but let's get to it. We cover everything about this draft in the Orioles with Jonathan Mayo. And joining us right now on Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite is Jonathan Mayo from MLB.com and MLBpipeline.com and a huge part of MLB Network's coverage this week of the 2020 Baseball Amateur Draft. Coverage on the 10th begins at 7 p.m. in full. Of course, the Orioles picking early and often in this thing, including number two overall. And uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Sure, my pleasure. Well, let's start with this second pick. I mean, obviously, we've been following the mocks like crazy. Uh, would Martin be your final pick for the Orioles if you had to predict it out? Yeah, I, at this point, uh, I still would be going with Austin Martin from Vanderbilt. Um, there's not been enough for me to feel that uh, I w- would want to make a change. I know there's been a lot of buzz about uh, a couple of other players, Asa Lacey, the lefty from Texas A&M, Nick Gonzalez, uh, has, has been brought up. Um, I think Zach Veen's name, the high schooler from Florida, has been brought up. All is sort of like, if we want to save money and then use it later on. Right now, I still see that more as uh, smoke screens. And, you know, uh, could it happen? Sure. Things could could fall apart. It should be noted that Austin Martin is represented by Scott Boris Corp. So you never know what can happen, you know, in, in terms of negotiations there. But by and large, his guys, when they get taken at the top, they sign. So like, I'm not overly concerned. I think if you're picking number two, you take the best player, period. Um, 
trying to manipulate the draft up there can often be a mistake. And I think when all is said and done, if they decide that Austin Martin is clearly the best player, that's, that's the direction they'll go in. To you, what do you like the most about Austin Martin when you've had a chance to see him play? Who's gotten a chance to see him play, man? I mean, it's just, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's obviously, uh, there, there are a few things that, that, that stand out. Uh, the first and foremost, from a tool standpoint, is the bat. I mean, he just, he's the best pure hitter in the, in the class, his ability to, to barrel up the baseball. He makes consistent contact, draws walks. He doesn't strike out. There's some impact there. I mean, he's not like a huge power guy. Um, there might be a little more pop, you know, as, as he, as he matures, but he's going to be a big extra base guy. Um, and then the other thing that stands out is just kind of the way he goes about it. Uh, he's just a, a supremely confident guy. He's a, a leader. Um, his makeup is kind of off the charts. Uh, so I think those are the two things that stand out. Now, I know, like, people want to sort of say, well, well, we don't know where he's going to play defensively. I, I don't see that as a negative. Uh, one, because positional flexibility now is a good thing. Uh, and I think gone are the days where you should worry about a guy. Oh, if we pick a guy number two overall and he's a super utility guy, is that okay? You know, if he moves around and he's in the lineup 150 times, who cares? You know, that said, I think he could very easily be an everyday second baseman. And there are people who think that he could be a plus defender in center field when all is said and done. You know, this year was the first year he really played out there. And his instincts were outstanding. Uh, Tim Corbin, his coach at Vanderbilt, just raved about how almost automatically he was good at um, just going and getting the ball and understanding the play in front of him and things like that without a whole lack of, of reps. I guess, you know, the last year the Orioles picking at one had their pick of the litter and, you know, maybe – I'm not going to say it was a slam dunk, but most people had it as Adley Rutschman going number one. Uh, uh, the question about Torkelson this year, is that as much of a slam dunk for Detroit at one and then the Orioles make their pick off of that? It's pretty close. I mean, and, and, and it was a slam dunk. I mean, Adley Rutschman last year was a slam dunk. I don't care what anybody tells you. Like, sure, you know, you do due diligence because you don't know what might happen. You know, again, negotiations, you want to make sure. But I don't, I don't think there was any question. I think for this year – you know, the, the, the Tigers have been very coy. I don't have any inside information, um, but everyone thinks they're taking, I haven't even heard the, oh, you know, they may do, you know, something crazy. And I know, you know, the caveat is that a right-handed first baseman has never been taken number one overall, but he's such a special offensive player that it does seem that, that it's pretty close to a, to a slam dunk. And sometimes in those situations, picking number two is, is a great, place if you think it's one and one a um and like last year the royals were thrilled because i think a lot of people internally like bobby witt as much as adley rushman and you could make an argument that bobby witt was the best player in last year's draft um you know just a little further away i wouldn't you know i still would have taken adley rushman i don't want to hear from all the crazy orioles fans i love adley rushman but uh but the royals <laughs> were like the decision is made for us right like we wanted – we love Bobby Witt, and we're happy he's a franchise-type player just like Adley is. And I think that this year there are maybe, you know, that you, you can make the argument that if you wanted to go with an arm, Asa Lacey has kind of separated himself. But by and large, it's been a Torkelson-Martin conversation, and by picking two, the Orioles can let the Tigers make the decision for them. 
for Martin, how much of a concern should there be over the arm? You know, if you if you thought that he was going to be a shortstop, then there was a concern. If you wanted to send him out as a shortstop and see if he can work through it, um, a lot of it is mechanical. And then it becomes a mental thing. I mean, we've all seen guys that have had trouble throwing. Um, but I wouldn't even worry about that. I think his arm has been fine from center field. It's not like it's, you know, he's not four hopping balls to, you know, or overthrowing cutoff men. Um, I, you know, I don't really see him as a third baseman. Uh, I'm not even sure that the offensive profile works perfectly there. Could he play there? Sure. But I think second base, he'd be just fine. And then center field, it's been, it's been good. So either way, you have a guy who's going to play up the middle, who's going to hit, I don't know, is he a batting title kind of guy who hits 20 homers? Yeah, I could see that then who cares how what the arm is unless, you know, if it were so bad um, that, you know, you have no place for him to play, uh, then the thing, but it's not anywhere close to that kind of level of concern. Jonathan compare, because the Orioles do have, and I know you're not drafting for need at two, uh, but the Orioles, if you look at their outfield and pitching prospects, you know, things are pretty good right now, but there's definitely an emptiness. It feels like in the infield. Uh, so to add whether Martin's at second or maybe it's Nick Gonzalez, uh, what is his profile like at a New Mexico State? Maybe just comparing those two offensively together. Sure. Um, they're pretty close, I think, offense. I think, I think Gonzalez may have a little more present power. Um, it's, it's hard to know because of where he played his games, um, but he hit over the summer. He's going to hit, um, and, he's a, and he's a solid defender. I, I don't think there's all that much separating them. I think Martin is a little, tiny bit better of a pure hitter and he was doing it in the SEC um, and, and I think that's the only in terms of evaluating uh, not taking anything away from the competition that Gonzalez faced but the slight maybe downtick in competition and playing at altitude certainly inflated his numbers but he hit everywhere and you know the only real difference is that he's only a second baseman um, he plays shortstop this year for New Mexico State but he's not He's not going to play shortstop at all. Um, I, I think that, you know, he's more of an offensive minded second baseman. Uh, I think that Martin may be a tick more athletic, which is why there's a chance to, to have him play center field, if that's what you need him to do. Now, if I'm the Orioles, I'd probably send him out on the dirt and see what happens, knowing it would be just fine out there if, if you needed to, to move around. And you're right, the not drafting for need is important. Um, because his bat is so good, you find a home for it, uh, you know, regardless of what your other pieces are, knowing that's not going to take him in all likelihood that long to be big league ready because the bat is so fast. It sounds like the Orioles are pretty content on taking Martin. If they were going to take a pitcher, you'd assume it would be Asa Lacey. But when you look at Emerson and Hancock, how much of a difference is there between where, where Lacey is and where Hancock would, would end up? I mean, it's not, I think we have them, what, one apart in our talent rankings, you know. So um, I've heard some things uh, that uh, some of the, like, analytic data on Hancock wasn't as good, spin rate, that kind of stuff. Um, but guy was the best pitcher in college baseball last year, in the best conference of college baseball last year. So, uh, you know, he, he broke out of the gate a little bit slowly this year. Uh, and then his last start before the shutdown was seven shutout. I think one hit, 12 strikeouts, right? So, it, you know, I don't think there's all that much separating. You know, it's funny because there's probably a little more track record of success, especially in terms of commanding the baseball with Hancock. 
Lacey is one of the few guys who probably helped separate himself with how he pitched this spring because every start he was dominant. He kind of took a step forward. Uh, always had good stuff. Command was, was the issue. And he was throwing a lot more strikes, a lot more quality strikes this year. And I think that's what separated him. And the fact that he's left-handed always is, uh, is a nice bonus. If the Orioles are deciding between an offensive player and a pitcher, my guess is they'd probably go pitcher if they thought that pitcher had a chance to be a pretty good bet for a frontline guy. Uh, do you see Lacey or, or Hancock as, as pretty good bets to being frontline type starters in the American League East? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's the chance uh, for, for either of them both to sort of fill that role. I mean, they were Friday night starters at big programs. I think uh, they like having the ball as, as being thought of as that, that frontline guy. Um, you know, I don't like using the word ace, you know, especially when you get to the big leagues because there aren't that many true aces. And listen, sometimes guys that you don't think have that ceiling, you know, I think of Aaron Nola, who kind of is now an ace type of guy, and he looked sort of like a number three type guy. Um, but so you don't know what might happen once they get to the pro game, right? Emerson Hancock has a cutter and suddenly is, you know, at a different level or something like that. But both of them do have the combination of stuff and future command where they look like they should have a chance to pitch, you know, close to the front of a rotation. Did I throw enough qualifiers in that? Sentence? Yeah. You, <laughs> you kind of talked about this earlier, like, you have a pretty good sense of what the Orioles are going to do and kind of ignoring the smoke screens a little bit. Uh, one person that our colleague, Ben McDonald, who does a lot of college baseball is high on is Heston Curse that he's seen him play at, at Arkansas. What have you seen out of him? Yeah, he can, he can really mash. Um, and I think the thing that really stands out for Kerstad is that it's clear that he wants to be more than just a power guy because right? he came out as freshman year and hit what, 18, 19 homers. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think a lot of guys would have been like, I just hit 18 homers as a freshman in the SEC. I'm good, right? And then he came out a sophomore year, and he did it again. And there were, were questions in and around that power output with swing and miss. Uh, you know, just the strikeout rate was a little too high. And then he goes and pretty much leads Team USA in every offensive category and just was really, really good, and then carried that over uh, one and how he looked in, in the fall when scouts were checking him out. And then in the, they played about 16 games this spring. He clearly had made some adjustments. Um, and we talked to him uh, on another preview show for the network uh, and how he had really concentrated on seeing more pitches, drawing more walks, his two-strike approach, you know, being content with two strikes to, to go the other way. Um, and he admitted, like, listen, his freshman – and, and a lot of his sophomore year, he would just swing out of his shoes. Like, let's see how far I can hit it. What kid doesn't want to do that? The power is legitimate. And I think one of the things that he's learning, and I think the summer helped him, is that he's going to get to the power. Uh, if he works on becoming a better overall hitter, that's actually going to make him a better power hitter overall. And I think that is what makes him much more interesting. And one of the things that we were talking about is that I think that he's a guy that had the spring gone on and he had continued to do what he was doing, then maybe you would be hearing him up closer to the top um, because then suddenly he's, if he's not the pure hitter that Austin Martin is, he's closer with uh, Torkelson type power. Just for the record, no, I don't think any of us think it's going to happen, but uh, just your profile of uh, Florida high school outfielder, uh, Zach Veen. 
just in case the Orioles uh, get a little wild on uh, on Wednesday night. Well, why don't I record a bunch of things? <laughs> You're going to take them, and then you can say, "Whoa, Mayo really nailed it." Um, just for the record. Sure. Uh, no, absolutely. Listen, Zach Veen's a really good player. He he is the one high schooler that you know fairly certain is going to go in the top ten. Um, you know, and he was. It's interesting because over the summer he was really good. He wasn't phenomenal. I don't know that he was ever the best player. Like at different times, like Austin Hendrick from here in my home in Pittsburgh was really good at the beginning, and then kind of faltered. But Veen was kind of just consistently good. And then, you know, through, the, through some of the fall events, and again, because he's in Florida, actually went out the spring and showed more of that. You know, he's tall and lanky, um, shows the ability to leverage the ball now. There's going to be probably more power. Uh, you know, you probably, guys have probably seen some of the comps, Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich. Uh, these are all guys that we didn't know would have the power uh, that they've ended up having. Bellinger, you, you sort of could see it maybe more, and he wasn't as big of a prospect. Yelich, I remember... I saw him in high school. He could really, really hit, but I didn't know that he was going to, you know, have this kind of power. Local scouts kind of seek a lot of Kyle Tucker on him. So tall, lanky, there's power. He's athletic. Um, if you think he can play center field, then that puts him in another level. I think he eventually moves over to a corner. You know, would it be good enough to play center? Yeah, but I think he's that kind of guy that he could play center, but there's likely to be someone who's maybe a little more athletic, better, and then he could be a really athletic you know, say right fielder, plenty of arm, um, really exciting player with a, a lot of offensive upside. You know, I think he's a guy who's hit over power right now. And if he stays that way, he's really good. And then if the power starts to show up more, which I think most people expect given his frame and how he leverages his swing now, uh, then that's why his name is even being mentioned at all as a, as a top five pick. And I, he could very easily go four or five in this draft if, if there isn't one of those funky deals that never actually happened in the, in the top couple picks. We know that the depth as far as the college players is, is really good in terms of high school players. How would you evaluate it for this year? I think it's good, but not great. Um, I think that there's some really, really good high school bats like in that first round pool. And then there's another, uh, another tier after that. I think that, um, there's a really good trio of high school arms that are first round talents. And then there's that second tier. And that's that tier that like with the shortened draft, I'm not sure what happens with, I don't think it's as good as it's been in other places. You know, uh, it's one of these interesting things where people keep asking me about the shortened draft and how that will help college players. And it's a college heavy draft anyway. So it kind of fits in like a jigsaw puzzle kind of nicely. Jonathan, uh, Looking at this Orioles system right now, and they're going to add something special at two, at least on the surface, and then they have a shot at 30 and, and 39 as well. Combining it with last year's draft and Rutschman at one overall, and you're talking about D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, uh, Ryan Mountcastle has been in some top 100s over the last few years. You know, using El Diaz has been in some top 100s, Austin Hayes, Hunter Harvey. Uh, when you kind of look at the scope of it, to add something at two and 30 here, I mean, what are we talking about when, let's say, this draft is over, uh, for this Orioles system as we talk right now? Is this a top seven, eight, nine system, adding maybe a Martin at two and Rutschman at, you know, one last year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a good chance of, of that. And I don't, I don't have our, like, I don't even have our organizational rankings. Sure. So I don't remember where they are. But, I mean, that's, that's the idea, right? Like, when you pick up at the close top of the draft, you're supposed to 
then become one of the better farm systems. And it's not just about the one guy that you take. You know, it's it's how you do throughout the draft. Now, this draft won't allow you to allow bring in that much depth because it's only five rounds, but you know, they could get three quality future big leaguers with those first three picks or guys that are considered to be, then um, that should move them up, you know, markedly, just like last year's draft moved them up markedly. And it wasn't, you know, it was last year's draft along with the advancement of some of those guys that you brought up. I mean, Grayson Rodriguez took a huge step forward. Um, you know, everyone knew that he was talented, but I don't think anyone expected him to have the first full season that he did. You know, D.L. Hall has always had a good arm. Um, he started to put it together a little bit more. So I think that um, the combination of elite level impact players and some depth, which has sorely been, uh, been lacking, you know, um, you know, some of that was addressed in the Manny trade, you know, and they, they, they brought in some, some quality guys, uh, you know, and I'm always happy to, to talk about my, my friend from team Israel. So, you know, he was one of my favorite players of all time. But, uh, um, but I mean, but he's, he's the kind of guy that isn't an elite level guy, but I think he's a big league starter. And, yeah. You know, Cr Dean Kramer you're talking about. Yeah. Dean Kramer. Um, and uh, I didn't think I needed to mention Dean Kramer. Everyone knows Dean. We saw him pitch in Sarasota just a few, uh, it feels like a lifetime ago, but yeah, he was yeah, pretty impressive. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I think he probably would be impacting the big league rotation this year. Had there been a regular season. Yeah. See what happens, but he's, you know, he's a guy who's real close maybe doesn't have a huge ceiling, but if you told me that he settled into the middle of a rotation and gave you 180 to 200 innings every year for the next however many years, yeah, I believe it. So, and that's the kind of depth that I'm talking about, a non-top 100 guy who's going to end up being a, 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 not just a guy who touches the big leagues, but as a, a contributor to turning things around. Kind of sticking with the pitching theme, uh, some of the mocks that I've looked at when it comes to, like, pick number 30 would have the Orioles going with a pitcher. Do you see them maybe taking a pitcher with that, with that pick after they pick uh, the number two pick? Yeah, I think, you know, and that's one of the things that leads to these theories that they're going to try to save money, that there's going to be one, you know, one of these maybe high school arms that gets to number 30 and that they can save some money. You know, I don't know what Austin Martin's number is going to be. He's not going to go back to college, right? So maybe that's slot. And then they still could be aggressive and save a little money at 39 or vice versa, right? So does, you know, Mick Abel or uh, Nick Bitsko, you know, or Jared Kelly, those are the trio of high school arms. One of them there at 30, maybe. Um, is there a guy like JT Ginn who's coming off a of Tommy John surgery but has a first-round arm? Maybe. You know, the one thing that there's a depth, we talked about college, it's such a deep pool of college pitching that they could aggressively go after someone at 30 that they have to pay more for and get a good college arm at 39 who's got a starter profile. Um, a guy like Tommy Mace from the University of Florida comes to mind. Um, you know, or maybe, you know, so, and that's a right around the neck of the woods where he could go, you know, so then, you know, I think that's a distinct possibility because there's such a, a pool there that even in the third round, there might be a, a solid college arm for them to go after. So maybe if there's a bat that surprisingly hung around, um, you know, that's why you have to adjust. Like they may have in their mind, oh, we're going to get one of those guys. And then Ed Howard, he's a, a high school shortstop from Illinois, has been really hard to place 
because he's got a ton of tools, had an uneven summer, and he's from Chicago. So he did not he didn't play an inning of baseball this spring. So you couldn't follow up to see how he looked. I have it's been hard for me to figure out where to put him on my mocks. So he could be there at 30. Maybe the Orioles didn't think he was gonna be there at 30. Well, Ed Howard's here. How can we pass that up? Then they then they adjust knowing, especially that there's some pitching depth later on that they can go after if they want to. It's the Wild West. I mean, we really don't know what to expect oh, yeah. with a uh, with these seasons that have been wiped out. Uh, just out of curiosity, if this was an imaginary world and it was Torkelson and Rutschman as a prospect choice, uh, who would you go with that in a hypothetical situation there? If they were both out at the same year, Rutschman. I mean, that's it, just because of the position. I think offensive profile wise, they're they're pretty similar. Um, you want to make the argument that maybe Torkelson could be a touch more productive because he's not squatting for nine innings, you know, every, every day, but because Rushman is, it's not just, Oh, he's a catcher. This isn't Mike Piazza behind the plate. It's, you know, Joe Maurer behind the plate with Mike Piazza's offense. Um, then that to me that that's, uh, and I think I answered a, an inbox question like that a while ago. Like if I were to, to, to stack them up, um, they may have even put Bobby Witt ahead of Torkelson uh, again, because of the position but also just to you know, see what kind of reaction I would get. I think, it, I think Jim, Jim Callis said that he would probably put Torkelson ahead of Witt, and I could see it. Uh, you know, I, I think it, you could make an argument either way, but I had Rushman won. It's very hard, I guess, to determine you know, how things are going to go with $20,000 signees after you get through the, the five rounds of the draft. Um, what is your gut feeling telling you about what the, the market is going to be and, and the types of players that are going to be out there? Man, I wish I knew. I, I mean, I really have, I have no idea how that's going to work. It's unlike anything. It's like an, it's like free market with a hard cap, right? So, you know, you can, if I'm a player and I'm willing to sign for 20,000, you could just decide which organization among 12, right? It's a free agent market, but they, there's no bidding war, right? So, a team with a ton of financial resources could sign 150 players and be like, whatever, and end up cutting 80% of them after a summer. Like I, I have no idea how it's going to work. I, I think, I think there's going to be a fair amount of activity. I think that's where you're going to see the college seniors um, sign and maybe some, a lot of the college juniors who feel like they, you know, they don't have a spot for them. I mean, college baseball I, I don't know what college baseball is going to look like in the spring because so many guys may want to come back and you have this incoming class. And I've talked to some college coaches. They're like, it's chaos, right? They, they're trying to sort out what it's going to look like for them with only so many scholarships. So you'll probably see some college juniors. I don't think you're going to see any high schoolers sign for $20,000 unless they just have no interest in, in, in college. I think the junior college ranks next year might look really good because you might see some of those guys say, all right, well, I can't do this. Let me see if uh, you know, Chipola or Young Harris in Georgia or you know, one of these really good uh, – Stan Jack in Texas, you know, they may have a lot more guys that they, could, that they could possibly consider, which could lead to a really good 2021 draft class. Well, Jonathan, I always feel bad for you. Uh, somewhere between rounds like 15 and 40 uh, and, and coming up with something on every single player uh, going back many years – you're, I guess you're off the hook a little bit in 2020. Yeah, well, to be fair, so day three, which is always round 11 through 40, 
that's not it. That's not pick by pick. Thank God. No, I'd quit. If that happened, <laughs> I'd be like, no. And we Luckily, there's like, they, they, they do the conference call and then we come on after like 10 rounds and talk about a few players and that's it. Day two, when we're doing pick by pick through rounds 10, um, this is pure insanity. I mean, that's, you know, there's that, that point. And I remember years ago, I always give Jim credit because, um, you know, most people may not realize this, but Jim's not actually a human being. And <laughs> I, I used to think that, right? I mean, just because his, his, his not only his knowledge, but his recall is, is insane. Um, and he really does so much, so much work to have as many guys at the ready as possible. The biggest sigh of relief I ever breathed on a draft broadcast is we were doing day two. And he said, you know, I have to admit, I don't know who this player is. And I was like, oh, my God, because I thought that like three rounds ago. So <laughs> um, no, but, you know, it's one of the things we, you know, we would get into the habit of making that announcement at the beginning of day two. Hey, we're going to get to a point pretty soon because uh, we now recognize we didn't that first year, the sort of senior palooza that happens, that, especially after the fifth round, um, that we're not going to recognize names. And we put a call out to scouts to say, hey, hit us up, let us know, you know, and we'll backtrack because we want to give each kid his due. If we're going to do the pick by pick, we want to say something about each player. It's just that it's impossible to know that many players. So it'll happen, you know, on day two, you know, third round, fourth round, whenever it is when we don't know a player, um, but it won't be as much. It's really around six through 10 where we start going like, oh man, like we're, we need to go back and talk about five players ago that we missed. So I don't think that'll happen as much. We'll still have to rely on scouts for some of it, I'm sure. In terms of the college game, because next year looks like a total mess. We've seen it over the course of this pandemic, some teams dropping their programs, scholarships are going to be cut. You're going to have a whole log jam and everything. What is college baseball going to, to look like for you, at least uh, in, in 2021? Because it, it, it just seems like a total mess right now. Yeah. I mean, that's another the, I, I, I keep answering your questions with questions, right? Because I, I really, I don't know the answer. Um, you know, I heard talk from some programs, uh, especially ones that are more known for their football. Like if there isn't football and the revenue that comes with that, could baseball be in trouble? Maybe. Um, you know, it, I'm cautiously optimistic that there will be football in some regard. Um, so hopefully come the spring, all the programs can have baseball. Now, as I touched on earlier, you know, we're going to have to see how this draft plays out and how many guys are willing to sign uh, for, for $20,000. You know, I've, I heard some talk that like teams were approaching the college program saying like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take these guys, we'll kind of, we'll take these guys off your hands. So I think hopefully it'll work out um, where, the players that would be in question, like maybe there wouldn't be a spot for them, can then decide to go on and sign if there's some opportunity for them to play. I have no idea what that part looks like. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about contracting some of the minor leagues, and that would include some of the rookie levels and short season baseball. Is there going to be some sort of developmental league kind of thing for some of these players? I don't, I don't know. And all, all of that, uh, you know, that's on the pro side, but that 
feeds into what are these kids going to do in terms of going back and, and, and wanting to play another year of college baseball. I mean, even I was talking to a scout in the Northeast about whether or not uh, it was a, a college program in the Northeast, whether this player would go back. He's like, there's a guy coming in in the recruiting class who's better than he is, who's going to take a spot. Now, this is the kind of guy who, you know, I, I think he's a senior and uh, you normally would be like maybe an interesting college performer senior sign. Is he going to go back for a fifth year, but there's no place for him to play? Like, I, you know, I don't know what that guy is going to do. So there are more questions than answers, unfortunately. And, and Jonathan, uh, obviously a lot of questions, a lot of questions about this big league season as we record right now. Uh, but assume for a second, and this is not a big assumption, I don't think, for, for the Orioles, that they have a, a tough wins and losses season. Uh, and they're in the same conversation, the top three again. For Orioles fans uh, who are already excited about next year's draft, um, would your, if you were to mock it up next week after this one's over, would it be Kumar Rocker at one right now? Is he yeah. the early indication of that? Thank God. You're only asking me about one. Because if you ask me beyond one, <laughs> I know. You know what? Uh, Jack Leiter. Well, you know, we'll, we'll put uh, Al Leiter's kid, right? Uh, okay, those close. two. Well, with the way, with the, with the way uh, he broke out of the gate this spring, where he went from being like a interesting kind of touch and feel. I mean, I really liked him as a high schooler. Um, his, his commitment to school was really strong. He was going to be a draft eligible sophomore. So he was pretty much unsignable and kind of told more or less told teams like, don't, you know, don't bother taking me early. Um, now maybe if he had gone in the first round, it would have been different. I think Al wanted him to go to school. He took a big step forward stuff wise. Um, he got stronger, you know, so I think, uh, teams that picking at the top are going to be spending a lot of time at Vanderbilt. Um, I mean, they, they do anyway. So I think those would be the top two. But you bring up an interesting point, Brett, is that I haven't heard any talk. Like, let's say there's a 40 – I mean, I have, how many games is this year going to be? 45 games? We're, we're, we're playing fantasy here because right now it's not looking so good, right, in terms of them coming to agreement. But are they going to really use a 45-game season – to decide the draft order next year. Now, I don't know choice. I don't know if that would have to be collectively bargained again. Like, I, I, like, I honestly, I don't know how any of that works. I've not seen that brought up. I would imagine that whatever season they have, if there is one, they will have to um, use that. But let's say it's like they can only agree on some sort of round-robin tournament in a playoffs, and that's it. I mean, I would almost say that they should go back to – last year, in which case the Orioles are in the same spot anyway. Um, so I think, you know, long answer is yes, the Orioles will probably be picking at or, or near the very top. Uh, I'll tell you this, if they do some sort of uh, NBA lottery ball system and the Yankees or Red Sox wind up with rocker or lighter, I'm going to uh, be very, very discouraged about the future of the game. Uh, let's, let's put it, I'll put it as mildly as I can right there. I don't know how the I Yankees wind up with Kumar rocker. I don't problem. think that those teams would, uh, would, would qualify for a ping pong ball, right? Fair enough. I need to know that. To do it you know, there used to be such a fear that the those top guys would get like driven down, and it, it did happen on occasion where sure. it'd be like, hey, I even saw a, a, a clip of the Ken Griffey Jr. documentary that's going to be on MLB Network in a few weeks about how they talked about should he say, no, I'm only going to sign with this team, so don't don't draft me because I think his dad was playing with the Braves. So they had a conversation. Well, should we try to drive you down to the Braves? 
And Junior was like, well, you can only be number one pick once, right? So there's only so many guys who can say that. And that's how we ended, you know, that's how that ended up working out. And kudos to him for not trying to game the system. But that's happened, you know? And we, and we know that story around here all too well when it comes to the Baltimore Colts and John Elway and, and stories like that. And, of course, the Yankees very much involved in that as well. But right, um, right. So it's we happened. know that story. Yeah, and then, right. And it hasn't happened, you know, since they've gone to this bonus pool system. It hasn't really happened. You know, you hear talk like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to sign. You know, I need to sign for this. There have been enough teams that have said, screw it, I'm taking you. You know, like, uh, yeah, I think there was some talk with, um, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name now. And I did a whole story on the kid from South Jersey, the high school kid, Jay Groom. You know, he was the high school lefty being mentioned at the top. And all of a sudden we started hearing his name and we think that they were trying to push him down and the Red Sox were like, we're taking him, and you're going to have to decide. You're going to, and they didn't, I think they paid him slot, right? They didn't go over, but what's a kid going to do? He wasn't really interested in going to college. It's life-changing money. So we signed, you know? So I think these days that doesn't happen because there are enough teams in between the Orioles of the world and the Yankees of the world that say, you know, I'm going to take him. And, uh, you know, you decide you want to go back for your senior year of college. I'll, uh, I guess Mark Appel would be the one example where he didn't sign um, that uh, I think most, most kids are going to end up signing. Last one for me. What have you been hearing from, from teams as they, as they do this draft in a, in a digital fashion, um, you know, very much like the NFL draft? Yeah, I mean, I think they've been they've been ready for a while. You know, it's like they were really waiting just for the announcement of how many rounds. Um, once things got shut down and they realized that they were going to be largely relying on evaluations from the summer um, and and as much video as they could look at, uh, they were kind of ready to go. They just needed to know how to line up their board based on how many rounds there were going to be in the draft because it would look different. Ten rounds versus five rounds. Now, every team from a scouting standpoint would have preferred 10 because um, then that's kind of like a regular draft. Um, you sure you get talent in the 11th round and maybe you go after, but by and large, it's the, it's the same as it's been the last several years. This is different. I think you have to reprioritize where you're, what you're able to get and what you, you can't get um, teams that forfeited picks either for free agent signings or, or, uh, you know, being penalized in, in some of the cheating scandals, you know, have to plan differently. Also, you know, the Red Sox pick, in the first round and then they don't pick again until the third round. So that, and then that's, they have two other picks. That's it. Um, so once they found that out, then they could start lining up their boards. Uh, they've been doing a lot of zoom interviews with players. I mean, in, in some ways they're more equipped in terms of higher ups, understanding the makeup of a kid in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, because you wouldn't bring, 30 guys in for a private work, you know, for a workout to your stadium where you get to talk to them. Um, so the benefit is, I think, because of the ability to, to meet like we're meeting right now, they may have a better sense of the kid that they want to they take uh, on that front, even if they don't have as much data or scouting reports of them on the field as they normally would. Jonathan Mayo. MLB Network, MLB.com, and MLBPipeline.com. Big week of coverage coming up on MLB Network uh, in what is really, as far as sports fans are concerned, the only game in town right now, the uh, MLB Draft takes center stage. Uh, Jonathan, you'll get some sleep later in the week. We appreciate it so much. Uh, thanks for not putting any extra pressure on me with that. That's the biggest game in town. <laughs>
It's the World Series right now, as far as right. baseball is concerned. Yeah. Jonathan, thank you. Thanks for having me. Fantastic stuff with Jonathan Mayo from MLB Network and MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com. All right, Jeff, it's prediction time. Who do the Orioles take it to? I say Austin Martin. You take somebody with uh, a great bat, great plate discipline, can possibly play a, a bunch of different positions, can be an everyday player for, for your team, has a pedigree of having gone to Vanderbilt, having played baseball on its, on its biggest stages, and who ought to fit in pretty nicely with, with taking Adley Rushman a year ago. I absolutely love the idea of taking uh, Rutschman and then Martin, two guys who have College World Series rings, shined on the biggest stage in the biggest programs. And I know for a lot of fans who don't follow college baseball, you have to appreciate the intensity uh, of that level of college baseball. They are not playing in front of empty stadiums. In their, the intensity level of SEC baseball and what Adley had at uh, Oregon State, I mean, that is big-time, high-leverage baseball and they did it throughout the College World Series. And anyone who's ever seen that tournament and, and that championship play out in Omaha, uh, that's big-time stuff. And, and those two guys have been the uh, leaders of their teams, and they've come up big in the biggest spots. So it sounds cliche. I absolutely love that. But I do think, Jeff, just to be a contrarian, I think there's a real chance of Asa Lacey here. I don't know why. I think you get a chance to draft a, a left-handed frontline starter out of college, uh, someone who can move rather quickly, and you can maybe pencil in near the top of your rotation. I think that's going to be really hard to pass up. So just to be a contrarian, I say Lacey at two. And I say the Orioles, there's, there's apparently, and I'm not an expert at it, a lot of college shortstops who could fall to 30. And at clearly a need of this organization, uh, they need some infield depth in this farm system, guys who they can pencil in in a few years playing second or short. And I think they find that guy at 30. I mean, that is my, uh, that's my gut right now. I'm, I'm going to say it. I'll probably be wrong, Jeff, but someone has to say it. Well, remember, like, like Jonathan talked about, there are a lot of really good pitchers that you're going to have on the board at 30 and then 39, and then there's there's a lot of options out there. I mean, the Orioles are the first team to pick second, and Lacey, it's, it's an interesting type pick that you're talking about because you have to look at the history, the injury history of pitchers who were picked number two overall and how they've had to have arm surgeries and things like that. Now, you do bring up the, the point of if you could pair Asa Lacey and then Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, you have Dean Kramer, who's, who's pretty close to, to making it to the major leagues. You have Keegan Aiken, and then you have a whole batch of others. And then don't forget what's also farther down the pipeline as well. There's a lot of options for what, yeah. you, what you could do with, with, that, with that pick. And, and, but the hope is that you'd be able to keep all those guys healthy. They'd all get to the major leagues right around the same time. But, but I'm not sure that they go with Lacey for the historical look at it. And also how Mike Elias, when he was in Houston, they decided to make a pick pretty high for a pitcher, didn't end up working out. Uh, there's just there's inherent risk, I think, with drafting uh, a college pitcher, even somebody that is as good as an Asa Lacey or an Emerson Hancock, who also pitched in the SEC at the University of Georgia. But I just think that the position player, and also given the – you know, even though it's not your primary concern, but it's just an extra add-on to it, given where your depth is as far as uh, infield positional depth, uh, guys that can hit with power in your system. I just think it makes more sense to go marking. And also, I'm sorry, what we heard Jonathan say about Nick Gonzalez, uh, second baseman New Mexico State, uh, clearly athletically and maybe totality of makeup, 
doesn't match up with Martin and based on college competition, but Gonzalez hit everywhere. And uh, you're, you're talking about someone who you can almost say that guy will be my second baseman sometime in the 2022 season. And, you know, Adley could be in that lineup. Uh, someone like Nick Gonzalez or Austin Martin can be in that lineup. Uh, and that's such an organizational need. So there's got to be somewhat of a, an allure to that also. If you thought he was the better offensive player, if you're Mike Elias, that has to be tempting. It certainly does because think, of, think about a possible lineup. You have Ryan Mountcastle playing left field. You have Austin Martin. Or DH. You have Austin Martin playing second base or center field. You shift Austin Hayes uh, around in the outfield. Uh, you take your pitching staff and you've got Grayson Rodriguez. And then we haven't even talked about Mike Bauman. You can put him in there as well. You're being more active on the international market. When you look at guys that have been the top of the heap as far as prospects go, they're, they're coming from the, from the international stage. When you, you look at a, a guy like a, a Ronald Acuna or, Right now, Wander Franco, who's, who's a member of the Rays organization, expected to be a superstar, uh, he, he comes from the international market. So you take these high picks for the Orioles, and then you take the fact that they've begun to establish a pretty good international apparatus in which to bring in players, and that'll be the second Super Bowl for the Orioles is the international signing period. You have a whole lot more depth and a ton of talent that hopefully will sustain your organization for many years to come. And, and when you're, you're drafting and when you are also signing players internationally, that's what the, that's what the goal is. That's what worked for, for Mike Elias when, when he was in Houston. Uh, and, and the thing is, if these players are not guys that you use and bring up to your, to your major league team, or maybe they're major leaguers, but they don't quite fit in with your, your total group of, of players that are available, then maybe they can be trade pieces as well. Yeah. And they can go to other organizations because let's face it, Houston used a lot of their homegrown talent to bring in the likes of Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke and some of the other players. And that's a strategy that, that it doesn't matter if you're a new school or old school GM, lots of people use, and it can be maybe the, the final things that you do there that, that help you win a world series. If it's not purely a done internally. I mean, listen, you're going to have holes to fill. You're going to have to supplement everything in some way, uh, and at some point, you have to play the free agent market, whether it means the big fish or a small fish. Um, it's impossible to field a 25-man roster of homegrown players. Uh, but the point of the story is there's strength in numbers. And uh, the more uh, pieces you have to play, uh, there's a better chance you have to kind of uh, fit an overall better roster in the big leagues. And, and that's the goal. But uh, listen, uh, it's an opportunity. And it's one the Orioles cannot fail with, with the second pick and the 30th pick and the 39th pick. They got to walk away with some major leaguers uh, coming up this week. Uh, Jeff, we'll have a full draft recap coming up and we'll continue to break it all down and, and continue the magic of this Orioles Magic, the podcast. I think the magic has been taken up a couple of notches with the fact that we, we are in draft season right now. I know. I feel really good about draft season. I feel like I'm really <laughs> in on this draft to keep my mind busy. Uh, I, you know, at night I'm just pondering the combinations of two and 30. All right, Jeff, uh, it's been real. Uh, we'll talk some draft. Enjoy it. And uh, we'll catch up soon on Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite.